In this episode of So Dramatic, my guest is Jennifer Devins, the executive director for a nonprofit organization. Jen and I talk about the star-crossed lovers of punk rock fame, Sid and Nancy, why you shouldn't give your three-month-old barbiturates, and the best place to get donuts in New York City. Welcome to So Dramatic. I'm Nancy Beach, and my guest this week is Jennifer Devins. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Nancy. Thank you so much for being here. So I always like to ask my guest in the thousands of episodes that I've done is, did you think at all about who I might talk to you about? I have thought about it. Okay. Who were you thinking? Well, I know you're very creative. You have a goofy side. Yes. You're very smart. Oh, you see know why you're my best friend so well, and you paid me to do this yes. a lot. I told you not to. Talk. I know. Oops. Um, no. So I thought that possibly there would be something from our shared past. Okay. Like maybe a book that we had read. Okay. Or maybe I wasn't really thinking so much about a person. Okay. As much as I was about maybe a shared topic or a shared experience that we may have okay. had. Because we went to high school together, mm-hmm. had English classes together, went mm-hmm. to college together. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot that you right. could have drawn from yeah. for this. So I'm I'm all at once a um, little, you know. Apprehensive? Right. A little right. scared. Well, there will be a might, test. Right. What might come up. End. And if there's an orange. In Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. So we can finish each other's sentences. So I was actually yes. thinking this could be my podcast. <laughs> Take over. You got it. Basically. Yeah, I can do this. Okay. Yeah. Was there anyone that you were hoping, like, oh, I hope no. we talk? No. Okay. No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. I, you gave me very specific instructions not to overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm an overthinker. Right. And, you know, part of this is that I, I bring people on this who I love to talk with, who we, you know, have great times laughing and talking about stuff. And um, I'm your gal. Yeah. And yeah. so that's, that's for me, it's like, I love doing this. Maybe other people would enjoy listening to this. And I don't know if that's true or not. Or if that I think I'll like it. Yeah. I'll enjoy listening to it. I know that. Well, I, I, I guess so. I'm maybe like a narcissist, but I have been listening, you know, as I'm editing the episodes, I'm laughing, laughing. my head off. I'm like, this is so great. Well, <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. Okay. So, Jennifer, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, for this episode, I have chosen to cover Sid and Nancy. Sid Vicious. Oh, girl. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So because okay. I, uh, I'm i an English teacher, I always have to give my sources. So my sources were the official Sex Pistols website. Okay. Um, there's a documentary called Who Killed Nancy? Yeah. Which is fabulous. I feel like I've seen that. The documentary? I feel like I have. Oh, is there going to okay. be a time? I mean... There's no test on this material, there correct? Is. Just okay. pay attention. You need notes. You want to take, you know, I'm take gonna some... take notes. Okay. Yes. Um, the movie Sid and Nancy, which what 1986 that came out. We oh. saw. We know we saw that. We've watched that. Yeah. No. Oh yeah. yeah but okay. I, I believe so. But again, that's going back. Yeah. Um, a few years, not a lot, and just lots, you know, online articles, that kind of stuff. So also, what I do is I on my website, I'll have links stuff that we talk about so if people want to watch it or get more information that's always there. which they will because Sid and Nancy there's a lot of stuff yeah, out there there is yeah, yeah 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 so I just want to show you quickly the picture oh my do you goodness remember what, he, what they look wow. like I have in my head just based on that 86 movie 
Um, wow. Who's the guy who played Sid? Of course, now I'm going blank. Um, okay. He's Sid Vicious to me. Like, I can't. Yeah. He's the guy I who remember. played Churchill. Yeah. Why can't I think of his name? I'll, it's later on. We'll talk oh. Oh, I know too. Yeah. I stabbed her, but I never meant to kill her. Okay. We're going to talk about that. Okay. So let me tell you, because again, with a lot of this, it's like, I feel like, oh, we know, I know this. I know the story. And I Uh, researched this. I thought I did not know the story. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I bet a lot of it will be new. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on the morning of October 12th, 1978, Sid Vicious claimed to have awoken from a drug stupor to find Nancy Spungen dead on the bathroom floor of their hotel of their room in the Hotel Chelsea in Manhattan. She had suffered a single stab wound to her abdomen and appeared to have bled to death. Vicious was arrested and charged with her murder. He said that they had fought the night before, but gave conflicting versions of what happened next, saying, I stabbed her, but I never meant to kill her. Then saying that he did not remember, and at one point during the argument, Spongen had fallen onto the knife. Hmm. Hmm. Is right. So hmm. February 2nd, 1979, almost four months later... Sid Vicious would die of a heroin overdose. And I don't even remember that. I mean, right. I knew. Yeah. So let's yeah. touch back on something. Okay. Can we touch back on the fact that I've been to that hotel? Yeah. Numerous Ooh. times. Okay. Have you? Tell me. Oh, okay. Yeah, totally. So in a later episode, I'm going to do a whole bunch on the Hotel Chelsea. Okay. I've been there. Because I have some reasons for that. But okay. you've been there. What is it like? I have. So it's like stepping back into a time where you can imagine everyone that was writing there and living there and being creative there. So I go to New York at least once a year. I try to. Um, and it's actually right next door to Donut Plant. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> My reason for going was to get donuts, which are the best donuts really? on, the pl- on the planet. Creme brulee wow. donut. Oh, stop. Oh, no. It, it's We could have a whole hour-long conversation oh, no. about the donuts oh, at Donut no. Plant. Oh, donut plant? Plant. I used okay. to think it was Donut Planet. Yeah. And I want to say Donut Planet because they're best. They're the best on the planet. Right. But it's actually Donut Plant. But it's right next door to the Hotel Chelsea. Really? What's that neighborhood? And What's the neighborhood like now? It's Greenwich. Oh, it's hip. Okay. It's hip. Um, But I am a big Leonard Cohen fan, okay. as you know. Yeah. And he was there for quite some time yes. and wrote and had lovers there. Yes. And it's, I find it fascinating. Yeah. So there is a big plaque on the outside of the Hotel Chelsea that says something, um, you know, that Leonard Cohen had written there, that he had lived there. Um, it might have one of the lines for one of his songs, maybe Burn on a Wire. I can't remember. Okay. But um, it's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, they've been refurbishing it uh, for a while. And actually, you know, I was just checking about that. It's not ready. It's was supposed to be ready for a while. And so they've Basically, there's people who are kind of grandfathered in who are living there and are, are going to be allowed to li- stay there. Um, but then they're going to make it like a hotel again, I like think. A proper hotel. Yeah, I think. Well, I every time. Up, but it's not ready. I've been there for, I mean, however many past years, the scaffolding doesn't move. I right. mean, it's as if it's like, is anything yeah. happening yeah. here? When you see the so. interior, too, I mean, all the artists who live there, they would paint the walls and they'd paint the ceiling and they would, you had the people, you know, just, and you know me, that I would have loved to have sat in the lobby yep. for a day. A hundred percent. Right? And yes. just who's coming past. 100%. Salvador Dali, you know, uh, Maplethorpe, Patti Smith, you know, just. It would have yeah. been an amazing, yeah. amazing experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, back to Sam awesome. Nancy. Okay. What's going on? Yeah, so they were part of those yes. famous people who stayed at the Hotel Chelsea. So um, so he basically, he didn't contribute a lot to punk music himself, but he's 
one of its most famous names. So there's like this cult around him. You've got t-shirts and posters with his picture on it and don't let them take you alive and drugs kill and that, you know, the Sid and Nancy film, like it's people recognize that. Yeah. But personally himself, he really didn't do much to contribute to, to punk, punk music. Um, friends and acquaintances offer endless contradictions about him. They'll say, oh, he was slow. Or other people say, oh, he was really intelligent. Um, or he was sensitive, but he was destructive. Or he was kind, but he was angry. He was passive, but violent. So you get these contradicting images of him. It's like, well, who what, you know, who was he really? But one thing they all say is that he was troubled. He for sure was troubled. So he was born John Simon Ritchie. I think it's John Simon or Simon John. I saw both, but we'll figure that out later. Basically, he's Sid. May 10th, 1957 south of London, to John and Anne Ritchie. And his mother dropped out of school early and went uh, to join the Royal Air Force, and that's where she met her husband-to-be, Sid's father. He was a guardsman at Buckingham Palace and a semi-professional trombone player. So uh, shortly after his birth, he and his mother moved to Ibiza, and the dad was supposed to follow them there and send money in the meantime. So they get there and nothing, no checks. No, nothing nothing from dad yeah. Sid. Yeah. Sid Sr. Um, yeah, John. Yeah. Dad John. Yes. So nothing's coming. So they're like, oh, shoot, wait. He's not going to send any money. So they realize they've got to figure something out. So she ends up marrying another guy. She gets divorced from that guy, Christopher Beverly, 1965, um, before they set up a home back in Kent. Sid then took his father's first name and his stepfather's surname. So then he was then known as John Beverly. His the stepdad died six months later after marrying his mom from cancer. And then from that point on, he and his mom just kind of moved around all in England, all over the place. The mom was pretty absent, kind of a lenient, too lenient parent using and possibly selling drugs. Uh, Moving from job to job, just not, this not explains a, real, a lot. Well, right. This explains a lot. Yeah. Not, not real, not a real stable environment. What do we call that? Loose. She had a loose ship. Uh, so Vicious first met Johnny Lydon or Johnny Rotten oh from the gosh. Sex Pistols, 1973. Yeah. They're both students at this Hackney Technical College. And Lydon says Sid at the time was a huge David Bowie fan and a clothes hound. So was really into like what he dressed and what, you know, what he wore. By age 17, Sid was hanging around London. And one of his favorite spots was um, this store called Sex. It was a clothing store owned by Malcolm McLaren who would become his manager, and Vivian Westwood. And so she kind of, she's known for um, specializing in clothes that defined the punk movement. That was her, you know, kind of claim. That name sounds so familiar. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I'm trying to think. When you were in London, did you ever go to that that area? Um, so this was, what did they say? It was 430 Kings Road. Do you remember that? Maybe. Them? Yeah. I don't know if it's near Hyde Park or near, I would, I don't know. I'm geographically challenged. <laughs> So I actually yes. would have to see. Was there a, a donut shop? Was there? <laughs> if there were donuts, then it, yes, absolutely. Right, I was there. They I had was a great there. fish and chip shop. Right. So she was really known. So she brought that whole the punk, the clothing to like mainstream. Right. So she, that's kind of what this shop was known for. Um, so John Lydon, who actually he gave Sid Vicious his nickname. So um, he, he was holding Sid's hamster named Sid, or yeah, he was holding Johnny Lydon's hamster, which his name is Sid, okay. and it bit him. 
and he's oh. like and he goes oh Sid is really vicious and they were laughing so oh, like, it's like the sweetest nicest hamster so they that became his nickname Sid is vicious oh, that's such a cute little Isn't that story cute? yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah. Cute. and then they killed the hamster <laughs> and then they ate it and then they then the hamster's no longer with us yeah, the hamster became the lead singer of their band <laughs> <laughs> so great the hamster was the muse for the rest of no one that's a little known fact yeah about yeah. the sex pistols. Yes. This is all about the hamster. And that's what I'm all about is bringing these things people don't know. Right. Or making stuff up. Right. I think making <laughs> stuff up is it's totally fact undervalued. Checking? Who is fact If anyone is fact checking I'm this. I'm going to fact check this when I get home. After your nap. After my nap. It's been a long day. So uh, according to Johnny Lydon, um, that he and Vicious would perform on the street for money. They would play... Sid would play the tambourine. They would play Alice Cooper covers, and people would pay them to stop because they were so bad. <laughs> That's the best tidbit you've brought so far. That's hilarious, and I'm not surprised. Yeah, actually, if you think about it. So Vicious began his musical career in 1976 as a member of the Flowers of Romance, which included a lot of people who later would be super influential in the punk movement. He actually, which I know you're gonna love this, he appeared with Susie and the Banshees. Really? Yeah. So he played drums at this gig they had. There was this really kind of notorious festival called the 100 Club Punk Festival in London. Um, and so that he was their drummer. Were they contemporaries age-wise? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't that seem like, I mean, we're talking 73. Yeah, I know. It's bizarre. Or 76 at this point, 76. I mean, I wasn't even born. Um, so there was this other band called The Damned, and they were considering yeah. having him be their lead singer but he didn't show up for the audition so typical well he says they didn't tell me about the audition that they were connived there so one of the guy who ended up becoming the lead singer dave vanian was also up for the position and so they said he sid says he purposely made sure i didn't know about this audition so he could get the lead so he kind of screwed me over so he was super mad at this guy dave vanian who ended up being the lead singer for The Damned. So he was really mad about this. So when The Damned is performing at this festival, he throws a glass at him, try to hit him, and the glass breaks and, like, shatters and blinds this girl in one eye. In the band? No, uh, uh, oh. in the audience. Oh. Yeah. So he's, you know, he just drums for Susie and the Banshees, and then he's drunk, and he hurls this glass at the stage trying to hit this guy, and it shatters and this girl. So he was arrested for that. Um, so there's lots of stories about that. There's lots of stories about his behavior, his not so great behavior. But he was asked to join the Sex Pistols after uh, this guy, Glenn Matlock, left in February 1977. They said because he was at everything they did. He was at every gig. And they're like, well, let's just have this guy. <laughs> He's here anyway. Yeah. yeah. So he replaced Glenn, out. Glenn Matlock. And they said after who had fallen out of favor with the rest of the group. So I'm thinking, how do you fall out of favor with with a punk rock band? Like, what do you do? Is this guy still alive? The Glenn guy? Yeah. Yeah. So what, like, are you too nice? Uh, Right. Do you not, do you don't have enough piercings? You don't destroy enough hotel rooms? So. Right. You're not angry enough. So I actually was like researching. So I'm like, why did they kick this guy out? And why did they? I know you know. (laughs) You know what he says? Glenn? Yeah. He goes. I think it was the fact that I like the Beatles. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm like, okay, that's kind of Fair that's, enough, right? Isn't that great? That's hilarious. He liked the Beatles. Yes. 
The Beatles are a polarizing band. I, <laughs> well, I think mu- at that age, too, I think 76, they're so poppy, mainstream. They're like, absolutely. this is what we're against. We're against absolutely. this establishment. It probably would be similar to saying, you know, I like the Beach Boys or I like, right. I mean, come on. Yeah. You can't be a member of the Sex Pistols <laughs> and like the Beach Boys or the Beatles. It just doesn't work. Right. Right. So the, their manager, Malcolm McLaren, had said, if Johnny Rotten is the voice of punk, Sid Vicious is the attitude. Oh, I like that. I do too. Yeah. McLaren also said that if he had met Sid Vicious first, he would have been hired as the lead singer. If he had met him before Johnny Rotten, because he said he just had more, he was more charismatic. Vicious was way more charismatic and he would have been the Sex Pistols front man. And so um, Johnny Rotten kind of realized that. So Johnny Rotten's in the Sex Pistols. You know, he and Sid were friends, but after he invites him in, he starts to kind of realize there's this competition yeah. and their relationship totally changed totally changed because wow. he recognized that this guy's people are more drawn to him than me um so they said he was sid vicious was described as having the iconic punk look on image alone he's all punk right when you look at him it's totally black spiky hair totally the curled lip 100 percent, the ripped t-shirts he looked like he needed a really good bath yeah <laughs> and a meal <laughs> Right? Wasn't he like and a ninety pounds wet? Ninety yes. pounds wet? Yeah. And like yeah. the chains around his neck. Yeah. So just that you just like, oh my gosh, oh, he's he was. Yeah. Yes. Skinny, white, pa- you know, just pasty and Although fit. Johnny Rotten had a look of that would suit a punk. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He was is. Is, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. So um he played this first gig with the pistols April third, nineteen seventy seven at this place called The Screen on the Green in London. And according to Paul Cook, who was the Sex Pistols drummer, he said those first few months when he when Sid joined the band, and up until he met Nancy Spungen, was he was a dedicated worker. He tried really hard to learn to play. So he really didn't know how to play the guitar. Um, so a friend of his even went further to say that one night they were hanging out together in this apartment. She went to bed. And he stayed up all night with a Ramones album and a bass guitar. And she said, when I got up in the morning, he could play. Like he was like. That's an awesome story. Yeah. She's like, I have to. She's like, he he would work hard. So this is before meeting Nancy. Uh. This is him, you know, basically teaching himself. Um, But the stories of his bad behavior are more famous. Yeah. And add to that persona. Right. He was infamous for getting into fights almost every time he went out. (sighs) Wow. Um, usually pulling off his belt and he oh. hit people with it. Uh, one friend told a story of how he killed a cat in front of him by hanging it in a noose. Oh. Oh, um, he once assaulted a journalist with a motorcycle chain. Well, and and back in those days, cell phone videos and all that, I, we have no, I mean, obviously we have the recollections, mm-hmm. but can you imagine if that was today? Yeah. Like all the, all the footage. Oh, no, but I'd love to see. I know, I'd love to see it too. <laughs> Um, oh, there's another story. So this one article by the Charlotte Robinson is called So Tough, The Boy Behind Sid Vicious Myth. Mm. She talks about an incident that he was um, going through heroin withdrawal. He um, simultaneously vomited and defecated on a groupie while she's performing oral sex on him. Yeah, it's a great story. I'm speechless. Yeah. I mean, this is like, that's the stuff that you're like, the, uh. just the the drug that is fueled craziness awful. yeah 
Once at a truck stop when he was uh, on his way to San Francisco for this tour that they were doing, some um, rednecks, we'll put that in air quotes because that's kind of politically incorrect, but they question his toughness. So he took out a oh, steak boy. knife, oh, boy. stabbed good. it through his hand, and then continued to eat his meal. Yeah, so those that's the part of that that right the the, how crazy he was and the things that he would do right. Um, So a lot of his friends said they really couldn't understand his behavior and why he was acting like that, like what was causing this, until they met his mother. Ah, like you had said before. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, they learned about his upbringing and they thought, oh yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. She couldn't even look after herself. They said she was not able to look after herself. And when he was little, um, there's a story that she was selling and transporting drugs. And so they, when they would cross like the border between countries, she would stuff. He was a little boy. Oh gosh. She would stuff them in his pants and oh, make him carry them. Oh, that makes me so sad. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to hear that. Did she? Is there any information? Nancy, because I know that your mind is like an encyclopedia right. now at this point. You're the expert on the <laughs> Sex Pistols and Sid Vicious. Yes. I would like to know, is she still alive? No. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about Okay. We will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Parents are the root of all evil. But I did not. You did not hear me say that. I love you, mom and dad. I got to edit that out. Yeah. Um. So they, they mentioned, I mentioned before, he's in the band, but he really can't play well. He really didn't have much bass guitar experience. So he was the drummer for Susie and Banshees for like a, a brief second. Um, but he didn't even like that. The album, Nevermind the Bullocks. Remember that? Yeah. The, yeah. What, the one, the I can, album. I, right. I can, ima- I can picture it. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't even play the bass guitar in the out al- the recording of that. So he, he's not even really on that album. Um, he appeared in two songs, Anarchy in the UK, Anarchy uh-huh. in the UK. Uh-huh. Um, but the other guy before him, he played the bass for that. That song was already out on a single. So that's that was already recorded with Glenn Matlock, the guy who was there before him. Um, and this other song, Embodies, which I don't remember that song, but he was allowed to play on it, but they overdubbed it later because it was so bad. So due to intravenous drug use, he was actually hospitalized with hepatitis during the recording of the album. So he So what did he do? So I'm he confused. played like the live, like the okay. live stuff. But the album okay. itself, he's not technically really not on it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So during that period when he um was in the hospital for hepatitis, his main visitor would have been his girlfriend, Nancy Spongin. Hmm. <sighs> Are we gonna talk about how they met? Yes. Okay, oh, I can't okay. remember that. I just get your seat. Buckle okay. your seatbelt. Okay. So Nancy Spongen, she's an American groupie. She's a heroin addict. He met her in 1977. So soon after he started in the Sex Pistols, he meets her. Okay. So just as their Sex Pistols are getting attention, he meets Nancy. They enter in this kind of destructive, codependent relationship based on drug use. She was also a part-time sex worker and stripper, and she's said to have introduced Vicious to heroin, although he was already using drugs before her. A lot of them supplied by his mother. Oh, Beverly. my gosh. Um, so it's not like he didn't do drugs before. Uh, she was not a well-liked person. She tried to hook up and get a rock star boyfriend continually. She was always trying to find, you know, somebody. Um, was most... she linked Was she linked to anyone before Sid Vicious? Like, had she been... Tr- she was trying. trying. Yeah, okay. she was trying. Yeah, so I'll give you her whole story mm, and her background because okay. that's super interesting, too. So... Um, 
Most people could not stand to be with her for more than one night. So if someone would hook up with her, they'd be like, I cannot stand you. I cannot wow. be around you. That's how it, that's so the odd thing is that and most people in that crowd, so she's in like this punk music crowd, they would say, Stay away from her. She is bad news. Well, that's saying something. Yeah. Right. Right. right? That's saying something. If this yeah. crowd is like Oh this yeah, anything goes. Right. Yeah. I, that's that's um, bad. Yeah. So yeah. I thought the exact same thing. She yeah. was described as a manipulator and an intimidator. So let's talk about her background, because I think that's important to understand. So she was born February 27th, 1958. Um, her family, they were an upper middle class Jewish family. They lived um, suburb of Philadelphia. So her father was a traveling salesman. Her mother owned an organic food store called the Earth Shop. So this is, you know, oh. in the like, late 50s, which is kind of cool. So young Nancy was a really difficult baby. She would throw crying fits and temper tantrums late into childhood. At three months old, she was prescribed a liquid barbiturate. Oh, come on. By a pediatrician. Hmm. Right? A liquid hmm. barbiturate. Right? I'd be afraid to give the kid like the, the colic, like those colic right. drops. I'd be like, oh, is this going to affect? Right. A liquid barbiturate? Well, especially from a parent who runs an organic you would think that there would be right. some sensibility around what's appropriate and what's safe. Right. But your pediatrician's prescribing yeah. it, but I don't know. Right. But her violent behavior persisted, and her mother said in an interview, her mother, Deborah Spongen, said, I know it's normal for babies to scream, but Nancy did nothing but scream. Wow. So it's almost like, um, I don't, did your, your kids have colic at all? Sophie, correct. Did she? Well, we know what her nickname was, which we won't say on oh, the air. No. Um but Sophie cried for five hours at a time. Oh gosh! See, I consistently. Oh, so it's like a colic in that horror. Yeah, that's yeah, it's a horror show. Yeah, it's a horror show. Yeah. and I think, um, you know, and in, in, I'm sure you know you'll tell us about her later years. Yeah. But potentially there could have been a diagnosis somewhere in there that may have been missed or may mm -hmm. maybe diagnosed today mm -hmm. in 2019. Yeah, that may not have been recognized right back then but who knows taking a liquid barbiturate oh, at three months God. yeah what is that i mean we know now with like the opioid oh epidemic like you take well, you're something not even... once and you're screwed uh, right and well and i mean i don't know if you remember um the whole cough medicine the, like you're really cough medicines don't work mm -hmm. for the most part and you're not supposed to give them to children so my point is that that's not even a barbiturate right I mean, that's cough medicine, right. which we know, um, you know, a little bit more about those things today. But that's crazy. Yes. Okay. So tell me, tell me more about, <laughs> tell me more. So I just, you know, I think about her mother, like she did nothing but scream. I just think like, okay, so this is, this is a colic to the, you know, nth degree. degree. Yeah. So she scored superior on intelligence tests at the age five and she was allowed to skip the third grade. So super, super smart. Mm -hmm. There could be something there that, like I said, she could have been diagnosed with right, today right. versus back then. Yeah. She excelled academically, but had few friends. Um, yep. She was temperamental. She exhibited violent behavior towards her sister, Susan, but was very caring towards her younger brother, David. She allegedly threatened to kill a babysitter with a, sister, with a scissors and attempted to batter her psychiatrist. And he accused her of acting out for attention. I love that. Oh, you're just trying to get attention. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think? I am. 
Right. I am. Help me. Right. Help me. This is a proverbial cry for help. (laughs) I I have a literally have a cartoon uh, on my desk with this kid scrawling "Help me" on the wall, and the mother sitting there and says to her friend, "He's just doing that for attention." (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, at what point do they talk about what age? This is happening. So this like, is like around a le- so this is like grammar school. So she's, she's at, on the spectrum too, potentially. I mean, this knows? is there's issues. So at eleven, yes. she's expelled from public school because wow. she's absent from class for more than two weeks. I think they were probably looking for a re- reason to get rid of her. You know, at that point, they're probably like, "Oh, we were absent for two weeks. Get out." But I'm, sh- you, right. you know, there's issues. Um, really tired of her erratic behavior. Her parents enroll her at a boarding school. You know, January 1972, and she ran away from the school and attempted suicide by slitting her wrist with the scissors. When she's 15, her psychiatrist diagnosed her with schizophrenia. Mm. Um, she eventually graduated high school in 1974. So she's like, she's 16 when she graduates high school. She's born in 1958. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she. Wow. Smart. Right. So again. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, you see this too with some people, it's like, so then she goes away to college. It's like, you're 16. You're, you're not right. All Mm-mm. the stuff that's going on. Oh, we'll just send her away. It's like, what are you thinking? Right. What's. Well, what the thought is, is it's someone else's problem now. <laughs> okay. She's we know exactly what they're thinking. <laughs> right. Not my problem. But I think even like at 18, I mean, when we went to college, yeah. like, we were barely ready. Oh. Right. And it was like pretend life. You know, you're living in a dorm totally. where people are watching out for you. But 16. No. Well, and especially with a history with of that history, a history of not being as stable as one might like to be when they go off to college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So she goes to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Really? Uh-huh. Uh, but five months into her freshman year, she's arrested for buying marijuana from an undercover police officer. And then she was later arrested for storing stolen property in her dorm room. And so the university expels her. Oh, my gosh. Well, if they need, if the campus cops needed to make a quota, all they needed to do was follow her around. Right. Five months. For a day. And they're like, okay, we're done. Her father travels to Boulder and accepts a plea bargain for her, which results in her being banned from the state of Colorado. Oh, my. She's banned from. At 16. She's banned from Colorado. Yeah, the state. The state. Not, not the you uni- can't go right because right. I was yeah. like, oh, the university. I'm like, no, the state. What the state? Okay, so right, that's you're a, getting, you get that's a picture. A serious thing, yeah. At so, sixteen. <laughs> so after being fired from her first day on the job, um, wait, what job? So she moved back home. She gets a job. Okay. They don't say what job. Okay. But she's fired okay. the first day. So then she starts stealing from her family and dealing drugs. So she then. Decides she leaves home at 17. She moves to New York City and she works as a stripper and a sex worker. So she followed bands like Aerosmith, Bad Company, the New York Dolls, the Ramones, and the Heartbreakers. The Heartbreakers were an American punk rock band. So they were kind of. that? I don't, I didn't really know the guys. I didn't know any of the names, but I was, I looked that up because she ends up following them. So that's why I wanted to know who they were. So 1977, she then moves to London following that band, the American Heartburger. She's kind of trying to go after the lead singer of that. Um, and so she follows them to London on their tour, and that's where she meets the Sex Pistols. And she tries first with Johnny Rotten. He shows no interest in her, and then she pursues Sid Vicious. And they soon move in together. I had zero idea about who Nancy Spungen was. Yeah. Well, you, do, you just see them together and you don't know her background. And that's why, you know, for this, it's like you really have to know about both of them to know him 
And, you know, you have to know about both of them. Well, and I think, I think when you look at them, you think that they're this larger than life, almost unexplainable, unexplained yeah. duo yeah. that one is not separate from the other. And when you know their background and their history as individual people, as a little boy yeah. and a little girl, yeah. it puts a completely different yes. kind of perspective yeah. on their well, it's, it's, whatever it's union It's not one dimensional anymore, no. right? It's not this. He's a drug addict. She's a drug addict. She's a They're groupie. crazy. He's a punk yeah. rocker. And a lot of, too, when you, people can be dismissed very easily by saying they're crazy. And then you just dismiss them. And it's like, that's not really fair. It's not really fair to do that. You have to have an understanding of what, of what creates, and why people make the choices they do. Yeah. So um, they say that he was super shy. He was really shy. And a lot of people think he was still a virgin when he met her, that he was super shy. He never would talk to girls. A lot of people who hung out with him were like, he was like incredibly shy. She went after him. He was like, wow, like some, like he just didn't know what to do with himself. He was so excited. And again, they think he was a virgin when he met her, which I think is wow. really interesting. Wait, because so, they met when they were how old? 17? So she's 17. I think he's a year older. I think he's So 18. he would have been 18. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they had a tumultuous 19-month relationship. So Nancy and so Sid. So only 19 months. Yeah. Again, that surprises me. Yeah. If you would have asked me, like, oh, how long do you think I'd have been like, ah, a few years. Yeah. I mean. Well, that's almost two years. <laughs> well, no, a few more than 19 months to me is like, okay, that's a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I would have said five, a few, three, uh-huh. four, five. They're so young. That's the other thing, too. They're so young. Wow. Um, so they, he's already abusing drugs. They both become addicted to heroin. I think she already was addicted to heroin and other drugs. But at that time, people in, the, in like this rock and roll culture at the time, they were doing a lot of drugs, but more like weed and cocaine. Not a ton of people were doing heroin at uh-huh. that point. So many more would eventually do Richards it. I think Richards was. Let's but be yeah, honest. people would they not that they didn't, right? But initially, it wasn't like oh, punk rock, we're all doing heroin. Right, that was they right. were kind of like that wasn't Ooh, the thing. Yeah, we don't really do that. And they, um, the tabloids dubbed her nauseating Nancy for her frequent public displays of verbal abuse and violence. And most descriptions people gave of me first meeting her was that she was incredibly loud, self-centered, and obnoxious. And I mentioned that before. People were like couldn't stand her for more than one day right, one day yeah so intense so one hard to be nine. around manipulator um so again but we're we're looking back to this is kind of how she was her entire life and then maybe just started to self-medicate right um 19 january 1978 the group the sex pistols embark on a u.s tour without nancy she's at home she's back in london um it only lasts a few weeks because of multiple show cancellations and deterioration within the group so basically, there was a ton of tension between this Malcolm McLaren, who was their manager, Johnny Rotten, and Sid Vicious. We mentioned about Johnny, Sid, you know, and Sid kind of the relationship deteriorating because Johnny sort of felt like Sid was, you know, getting more territorial. Attention. And th- right. Johnny felt that McLaren was trying to wreck everything and um, anything that made the Sex Pistols great. He was having issues. Johnny was having issues with their manager and felt that he wasn't managing the band right. So um, also, Sid's worsening heroin habit. And his negative interactions with members of the audience were really affecting the tour as well. In San Antonio, on this tour, he hits an audience member on the head with his bass guitar. Uh, that's <laughs> right. that's not good. That's I don't know if that should be part of your right your, your the repertoire. Act. Yeah, yeah. 
And then before they took the stage um, in the Longhorn Ballroom in Texas, um, in Dallas, Vicious, again, heroin withdrawal, carves on his chest with a razor, give me a fix. Have you ever seen that picture of him? No. So he literally not. takes a razor blade and carves, oh. give me a fix on his chest. It's brutal. Oh. Yeah. So after this tour, the group falls apart. Um, so then Sid was free to do whatever he wanted. Wait, so after that, the Sex Pistols was yeah. no more? Yeah. See, this is another fascinating thing that I, again, before this conversation, Sid and Nancy would have been together for 10 years, according to me. Right. The band would have been around. I had no idea that yeah. it was that short-lived because yeah. it sort of has a life of its own. And I think they did. I think there was another album that came out after that tour. I think that was part of what the tour, they were working on another album. So I don't know. Maybe they, I think there's two albums. I'm not totally but sure not, about that. But not, the longevity no. is not what oh, no, I no, thought no, no, it no. was. Yeah. And then what did Johnny Rotten started? Public Image Limited. Right. Yeah, he started yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so after the tour, so again, he's left to do what he wants. So he kind of does uh, Total Path to Destruction. And he also um, covers some lead vocals, including My Way. I love his, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Remember that video? So he, yes. oh, he does oh, My, my Way. Gosh. Frank Sinatra, and he does a cover of it. And it's just. It is really stunning. Yeah. It. Yeah. So now I he's like, about that. now I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to start my own career. Um, so then he's back in London now. He and Nancy, they're spending a ton of time just doing drugs, laying in bed, trying to get money. They mentioned that maybe they were trying to solicit sex for money, possibly both of them. So not like she would say that like her, like their friends, like, you want to watch us have sex? Like you want to pay, like give us 50 pounds or whatever and you can watch us have sex. Like that kind of stuff. Um, Just really weird. And then um, Sid's mom and Nancy did not get along. And so one night a friend was staying at their place and they just told this friend, if Sid's mom comes by, do not let her in. Don't let her in. So they were just, they did not get along. So his mom did come by and she dropped off some stuff for Sid. What do you think she dropped off for him? Drugs. Um, it's not the lasagna and pistachio cake that your mom would <laughs> bring the... us in college. Right. Um, a bag of jujubes and a bag of clean syringes. Well, I was close with drugs. Yeah. yeah. A bag of clean, that's really mom-like. <laughs> That's mom. Oh, mom, thanks for the mom. syringes. <laughs> you shouldn't have. Oh, you shouldn't. How will you. I ever repay you? Yeah. Wow. Um, so he started playing in a new band. And what it, was that called? Um, Vicious White Boys. Oh, God. See, I don't remember that. And so he became the lead singer of that. And they actually, a lot of people are like, wow, this, is got, this has a lot of promise. Like, this could really go well. But guess who their new manager is? Nancy's yeah. <laughs> Really? Yes. She becomes their manager. It's like, this okay. This is perfect. How to set yourself up for complete failure. Yeah. Um, and this isn't going to end So well. they're in London. He's starting this career, but, you know, they're just, they're both just a hot mess. And um, they had a record, young record producer was spending the night at their house and he overdosed and died in their London apartment. So they're like, you know what? Um, I think we're going to move to New York. <laughs> Oh yeah, God. and they said, you know, we want to live an existential life. So August 1978, they decide they're going to move to New York, not because this guy died in our apartment. Right. And the police are going to come and right. Yeah, so they want to go be existential. Um, so they said a lot of people, and live next to Donut Plant. Right. We heard about Donut Plant. We heard right. We are on our way. We're on our way. Um, so they compare a lot of people compared that move to pulling up to your high school reunion in a Rolls Royce. 
<laughs> so it was about her trying to show off, right? Yeah. She's going back to New York. Yeah. She's 100%. got this famous boyfriend, which is what she's been trying to get. Yeah. yeah. And people, again, these people just did not like her. So she's like, oh, I'm going to show them. So she had basically, this is my favorite part. <laughs> she had basically spent just a little over a year in England, but came back with this really. An accent. Yes. Oh my gosh. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Super thick Cockney oh my accent. Go- Cockney. Okay. That's hilarious. Right. Well, first of all, that's a, an accent that is not desirable <laughs> when you're in England. It's, it is, right. would be considered uneducated yeah. and, you know, not high on the socioeconomic scale. Yeah. So it's interesting that she comes back with that because that's, oh, that's awesome and stuff. And it could have been what his accent was. I don't know. Maybe. It could have been for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, if he's not understandable, it's Cockney. Yeah. <laughs> if you need subtitles when you're talking to someone <laughs> from England, even though it's the same I'm language. sorry. I thought this was, you spoke I English. It's, yeah. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's borderline. What, are, there's some... what was the movie? Something, something's three smoking barrels and a gun and something else. <laughs> no, and you cannot understand. You oh, know the movie I'm talking about. It's is it like, the, is it a Cohen movie? The, is it the train one? Is it no, the... it's um something, something and three smoking barrels, I think. Oh. And it's the it's the Cohen brothers, I believe. I don't know. Okay, now this is all wrong. And someone listening is going to look this up and right. it's going to be completely wrong. But this particular movie that I'm thinking mm-hmm. of... You cannot, the one thing that came out from critics and everything, not, I mean, it totally surpassed the meaning of the movie and everything else. It was like, you can't, what followed that movie around was that you could not understand what they were saying. So that's like me when I have to watch, like when I'm watching all my British procedurals, like I love like the detective series and all that stuff. I have to put captions on. Yes. Or when I watch Peaky Blinders. Do you ever watch Peaky Blinders? I think you may have told me about that, but I don't think... I have to have subtitles on because I can't... I don't know what they're saying. Is that the British comedy? No. No. Peaky Blinders is... is not a comedy. Oh. It's sort of like nineteen early nineteen hundreds with um, these Irish uh, mobsters. Oh, I think what town is it in? Mm, I can't remember. Birmingham maybe or something. Okay. But it's so good. And Killian Murphy is in it, and he is ridiculous, and it's so good. They kind of use modern music for it. it's like one of those, but it's set like you know it's it's set in the like right after World War One. Okay, he and his brothers were in World War One, and um, they're coming home, and they're they're kind of they run like a like a OTB kind of a thing, okay. but they're they're involved in the you know illegal activities, and um, they're gypsies, and um, it's just it's so great it's such a great wow. series is it, still, is it on it's on i think season four is coming out soon hopefully okay well it's so, yes. it's so great yeah but i literally there's so many shows that i have to have the subtitles because yeah. i don't know what they're saying right. so that could be um so um they check in the hotel chelsea room 100 and that's where they spend most of their time consuming drugs she was able to actually arrange some gigs and they sold them out and they made a lot of money but he was so wasted that he could barely function at these. Wow. Like, it was just sad. He could hardly stand on stage. It was really, really bad. So their destructive relationship culminated in Spongen's death on October 12th, 1978. Wow. From an apparent stab wound. So this is where that documentary is super interesting about who killed Nancy. Um, so I was watching it, and they are interviewing people who were there that night. So did it happen at Hotel Chelsea? It did. Okay. Yes. So 
everyone who was there that night. So they're having this party in their room. So it's like Hotel Chelsea. People are in and out of everybody's room. Sure. They're hanging out. It's, yeah. you know, everyone who was there, people who were literally there in that room, swear there is no way he could have killed her. That he, they had a party. And by 4 a.m., he was so, he had taken so many drugs and he was completely passed out. And they think by six or seven, she was dead. And they, people left the room at four. They're like, this guy couldn't function. He was taking this drug that they used for like cancer patients, like to help cancer patients. And it would literally like knock you like out. Incapacitate like you. incapacitate you. So how he could have, right. That even for him, like to get, like you couldn't even get, get angry. Off, like you were or, so out of it. Yeah. To be in rate. They're like, we let, people were like, we left at four. She's dead by six or seven. There was no way. Who else would have had a motive? Right. Okay. So, and the knife that was used to stab her was sitting on a suitcase, completely clean, cleaned off, no fingerprints, completely wiped down, laying on top of a suitcase. And they're like, if he was that, you, it's not like he's suddenly, oh, it's six. I'm perfectly fine. I'm going to be conscious enough to take this knife, stab you, and then wash it and clean it and get the fingerprints off. They're like, this is not, this is not possible. Right. Right. Um, and there was no money found in the room. And that night, Nancy had been flashing all this money that they had made from the recent gigs. Okay. So okay, he had just motive. He or... had just been paid all of his royalties for the song "My Way," paid in oh, cash. Oh my! They had all the money from the gigs. She had stacks and stacks of money, and it was all gone. Okay. So then, what? Ha okay. Okay. Continue. So there's. They said there were people in and out of that room that whole night, all night, including drug dealers and junkies. And there was one specific guy named Michael who was said to have been seen later with a big stack of cash with Nancy's purple hair tie around it. The police never interviewed any witnesses from the hotel. They never interviewed any of these people who were in and out of the room. There are fingerprints. If you look at the police report, there are fingerprints of six people having been in the room. And they identified all six people, which means they all had records. And, right. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in a they database. Would, right. And they never talked to those. There's people. no evidence that they questioned wow. any of those Is people. the Michael on the list? I don't know. They okay. All the names are blacked out. You can't okay. see the names. Wow. Mm -hmm. Never heard that. Wow. Yeah. You, I, you hear he killed her. Of course. 100%. So. Which it makes perfect sense that if you are completely strung out. That that scenario doesn't match someone who is completely strung out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where's the money? Like and where, where's the money? Where's the money? Like where's stacks and stacks? People are like, you know, you really shouldn't have that sitting around. But, oh, well, you know, again, they're all hanging out. And so he's passed. They leave it for she's dead by six or seven. It's just, you know, horrific. So but other friends who weren't there. So they, in this documentary, they interview other friends. Um, who were not there. And their speculation was that she stabbed herself, that he was innocent. And so... Stabbing yourself? Well, this is why. So um, to me, someone said, to me, he just did it. She just did it to herself because that's what people like to do, like teenagers who cut themselves. And he said he thought she was so desperate for attention and stabbed herself, thinking Sid would come to her rescue, but that he was passed out. So friends mentioned that she would, they would have a fight and she would start cutting herself. But what about the money? Right. I mean, that that's all fine and good from right. a psycho. So some people know, say that was a separate thing. People coming oh. in and out, someone grabbed it. Okay. And so they didn't may notice because they were out of it. 
Um, you know, there were tons of people in and out of her home. So right. well, someone could have easily taken that money. Um, and not be connected to her murder. Right. But again, if she, would she stab herself and then clean off the knife and no. wipe it down and then put it on top of the suitcase in the room? So it's just, it's again, it's so, so many, interesting. Yes. Really, really interesting. So October 22nd, 10 days after her death, he attempts suicide by slitting his wrist with a smashed light bulb. He was hospitalized at Bellevue Hospital, where he also tried to kill himself by jumping from a window, shouting, I want to be with Nancy. Um, but they pulled him back. Hospital staff pulled him back. November 1978, he's giving this interview. And I actually watched this interview because I read the, I read the interview and I thought, I'm... I, I was getting, I just didn't understand the context. And I'm like, I want to see this. So I actually found this interview and watched it. And he says that um, her death was meant to happen. And that Nancy always said she would die before she was 21. She said that I will, I won't live till I'm 21. Um, so near the end of the interview, the interviewer, uh, he's, the interviewer says, well, you know, what's. Wait, I'm sorry. At okay. this point, is he in jail? Is he. No. So like, he's arrested, but they let him out. So he's kind of like on bond, you know, he's out. On bond, they, you know, or what are they? Yeah, okay, bond. yeah. Um, on bail. On bail until his trial. So did he die before his trial started? Yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so this, so this interview... is October. This is, so she dies in October. He slits his wrist. He ends up in the hospital. Then in November, so we're just a couple months after, end of November, he gives this interview um, talking about her and then saying um, he would like to have fun, that that's his main objective in life. And the interviewer says, are you having fun? And he looks at me, he's like, are you kidding? And so I'm re- when I read that, it was like, oh, I want to have fun. Like, oh, I want to. It made it sound like he was like, just like this party guy. And he didn't care. And that was not the tone at all. He was like, well, I would like to have fun, but I'm not. And I can't, like, I can't, like, it was such a different tone than mm. how you would read it. And he says, well, where would the interviewer said, where would you like to be? He's like under the ground. So he's really devastated wow. by this. So he's under the suspicion of murder. They release him on bail. Um, and then he goes out and, of course, gets in a fight at a club. He beats up Patty Smith's brother. Oh, Todd no Smith. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. At a nightclub. But a lot of people agree that, like, Todd was, like, instigating it and, okay. like, you know, antagonizing him. Um, which I don't think it would take much to antagonize Sid based on what we've seen. But. So then he undergoes drug rehabilitation. So because he basically got in a fight while he was out on bail, they arrest him again. Right. Like, okay. Right, sorry. Right. So he goes to um, detox. He's on Rikers Island for 55 days. Horrible. De- you know, de- not the best detox. Miserable. Environment. 55 yeah. days. And then they release him on bail February 1st, 1979. Um, his mother and his new girlfriend, Michelle Robson, pick him up. And he would never go on trial for Nancy's murder. So February 1st, 1979. So this Michelle Robson, I'm like, where does she fit into this? What the heck? Like, Where'd she come from? Right. Yeah. So she knew Sid and Nancy for a really long time. And she had this sort of obsession with him. But most of his friends were like, she would have been really good. She was obsessed with him, but in like to help him. Like mm. she would have been really good for him mm. in a way that Nancy could never be or never was. So they thought this is probably a positive thing here. He's going to align himself with this girl who will take care of him and make sure he's okay. So he gets released. It's February 1st, 1979. Small group of friends gather to celebrate that he's made bail. They're at this Manhattan apartment. He's totally clean. Um, But at the dinner gathering, he gets drugs from his mom. Oh, that's great. She she has drugs. Wow. 
the drugs were crap. They were not good. He didn't, you know, didn't do anything for him. So he has his other friends. He's like, you got to get me something. And they're all like, oh, uh, we don't have any. And they're like, they're trying to help him, right? So they're thinking, you know, we're just going to tell him uh, we don't have any or it's not available. And they all say, thinking that they're doing this to help mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. And they all say they wish they had just given him something because he ends up getting these drugs that are super, super powerful. Uh, that so, night. Yeah. His mom then sends someone out to go buy him drugs. And these were too good. These were too pure. If you're just gone through detox, you can't start taking right. drugs at the level you did yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe he hadn't even had that level of purity before. Yes, exactly. So if you're, yeah. So you're not used to it. Too pure, especially after detox and your body can't handle the amount. So it was bad. So he apparently spent hours during the party looking towards his future, planning an album, um, talking about getting his life and career back on track. Should he be acquitted of this murder? Um, and he overdoses at midnight. But everyone present actually gets him revived. And he's like recovers from this overdose. So he comes to and the first thing he says to his friend Peter is, I need more drugs. He's just overdosed. They get him out of it. That He recovers and he wants more drugs. And Peter's like, oh, you, you, you did it all. There's none. We don't, there's no more. Gives Peter lying. There is more. He gives it to his mother. And he says, don't give him any more until tomorrow. Wait until tomorrow because he, he's going to need something tomorrow. Don't give him any tonight because it's he just overdosed. So he died that night. So his friends left. His mother's there Never with him. Second. Michelle's there with him. And he's discovered dead in the morning by his mother. Wow. So that's February 2nd, 1979. He's 21. Oh, my gosh. A lot of people believe that his mom gave him the fa- the final dose that she was like. When he- they asked him her not yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no funeral home was willing to hold a funeral or burial for him because of his bad reputation and the crowd that he was hung out with. So his uh, remains were eventually cremated at the Garden State Crematory in New Jersey. He had stated during his life that he wanted to be buried with Nancy. Um, so Sid Vicious' mother, Ann Beverly, traveled to their home and asked Nancy's mother, Deborah, could she scatter his ashes over Nancy's grave? And her, her mother says no. So despite this, they drove to the cemetery where she was buried and they scattered his ashes over her grave. So shortly after his death, his mother claimed that Vicious and Spongen had made a suicide pact and that Sid's death was not accidental. That Beverly claimed that after he was cremated, she found a handwritten note in the pocket of his leather jacket and it read, we had a death pact and I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Bury me in my leather jacket, jeans, and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. Uh, Once Sid was dead, the police closed the case of who killed Nancy because they believed that he was the killer. So they just said, okay, it's done. He killed her. He's dead. They didn't pursue it. Let's touch base. Back on something. <laughs> this is a lot. Okay. Yes. Okay. 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 If it was a suicide pact, which doesn't surprise me. Right. But he had plenty of opportunity in addition to the light bulb incident mm-hmm. to fulfill that pact. Right. Plenty of opportunity. Is there a photograph or anything of this I don't know. note? And again, that comes from his mother. Right. Who probably administered. Probably has some guilt. Yeah. If, guilt. The, if she did, in fact, 
even give if him, she didn't. She might be like, well, this was this was meant to be. This is what he, you know. Right. Well, even if she didn't guilt around the 20 years that she <laughs> did have with yeah. him. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is, that story is incredible. That documentary I told you about. So that was, um, there was a journalist, Alan Parker. So he directed this film called Who Killed Nancy. It was released in 2009. I watched it on YouTube. Oh, I'm going to have to find it's it. really good. Yeah. Um, it addressed both their deaths and who could have been responsible. In 1977, his mother, Ann Beverly, age 58, was found dead in her home in England of a suspected drug overdose. Wait, didn't he die in 79? Yes, this is um, 97. Oh, 97. I'm sorry. I, I thought you said 77. Okay, got yeah, it. 1997. Yep. Yep. So according to reports, police were tipped off to check on this registered drug addict when several friends received letters from Beverly stating she was planning to kill herself. So she died age 58. Various bands over the years have recorded songs about Sid Vicious. Um, in 1982, the band The Exploited had the song Sid Vicious Was Innocent on their album. Troops of Tomorrow, uh, former frontman for the class, Joe Strummer, recorded Love Kills, and the Dum Dum Club for Sid and Nancy soundtrack. Do you remember the Sid and Nancy soundtrack? No. Oh! But this conversation is definitely, there. Okay. there I will be following up. I'll be watching the Who Killed Nancy. I will be. Yeah. So that yeah. soundtrack, the Sid and Nancy soundtrack, so the Ramones had that song Love Kills I on remember, their album. I know that one. I know that song. Um, the Pogues, Haunted. The po- Really? Okay, hold on. I'm going to play it for you because I can't play it here. Hold on. I'll pause. Sorry, guys. We got to pause. Okay. So I had to play that for you because that's that song Haunted by the Pogues. Everyone listen to that. Just go on YouTube. Listen to that. It's such a great song. Um, and that whole album has some really, really great songs on there. I just that. Oh, I have the tape. I have the tape, I think. Well, that's some great the stuff. The cassette. I know. That is, like, ridiculous. And it just brought me back. I know. 100%. Aren't we back in our yeah, dorm room? Yeah, totally. 100%. <laughs> I have a lot of Was follow-up spike to do. bangs? I did not know that this would there would be homework or any follow-up after this, but... Well, that's good. That's the yeah. whole point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also, which I didn't realize was... Um, Foster the People, you know, that band yeah, Foster the yeah. People, they have a song called uh, Loyal Like Sid and Nancy, which is really good. And then Fallout Boy has yeah. a song called Irresistible, and that's about Sid and Nancy. Oh, my God. Too. So really, you know, there's there's constantly, we talk about they these illusions, on. right? These illusions to these, you know, to, to them and um, really cool. Oh, Gary Oldman. Oh, yes. I couldn't remember. So that, yes, <laughs> of course. The 86 UK film that featured Sid and Nancy, um, directed by Alex Cox, portrays the chaotic last phase of their lives, ending with this fictionalized stabbing scene. So it's Gary Oldman as Sid Vicious and Chloe Webb as Nancy Spungent. Wait, what? what is that? What movie was that one? That was Sid and Nancy. Oh, Sid and Nancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Oldman's performance yeah. was praised by Uncut as hugely sympathetic reading of the punk figurehead as a lost and bewildered man-child. But again, he was only 21 when he died. He, it's he like, was a lost and bewildered man-child. He was a that's child, a, that's right? That's exactly the... That's okay, the... so do you remember the movie? What's the best line of that movie? Do you remember? No. Oh, my gosh. Okay. My favorite line in that movie. So she go, they go back to her. I have to rewatch it. <laughs> they go back to, to her family it. in Philadelphia. They're in the car. 
it's Sid, Nancy, I think the grandma and like her mom and dad or whatever, they're driving in the car and she's, they're driving through her town and she's pointing out, oh, I did this here. I did this here. And she points to this roller rink and she's like, oh, I won this award at this, at the roller rink. And her grandma goes, Nancy, don't fib. And she goes, fuck you, grandma. <laughs> white bread middle class this grandma and she and they are just like they just don't it's like one of these things it's not like that they do not fit it's just weird they don't fit it's so great oh my gosh that's awesome (laughs) add that to the list of things i have to i have to watch i have to listen we'll have to have a part two of this so then i can come back right educated and say with my memory tell me what i was wrong about. yeah exactly so according the website so the sex pistols have an official site they say the sex pistols are the true originators of punk No one else had their attitude, their balls, or honesty. The pistols were inspired by anger and poverty, not art and poetry. They are punk. Everyone else was punk rock. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So I love that it's like, it's sort of that, like, we're not trying to be artists. Right. No, we're angry. Yeah. Yeah. We're really angry. We're poor. We're we're mad. Yeah. We're really mad. Love that. We're not trying to make, you know, everyone else is punk rock. Love it. Um, In 2006, Vicious, along with four original members of the Sex Pistols, were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And in classic punk rock style, they refused to attend. Uh, (laughs) That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. So... That's wow. Sid and Nancy. It is Sid and Nancy. Yeah. You're in the Wayback Machine, aren't you? Wayback about... Machine. Well, I, will, I do want to come back again yeah. and talk about um, my memories that I have oh to now recreate. Gosh. Yeah. Because some of it has come back, but I, there's a lot. I would say 90% of that information, I had no idea. Yeah. And th- I didn't either. And that's yeah. so, you know, again, I try to find people who am I fascinated by? Who is interesting to me? What, and what's the real story? And is, is there an interesting story the behind story? them? And I think there is, again, you dismiss them as drug addicts. You dismiss yeah. them as crazy. It's yeah. like, you're going to miss out on um, a lot of interesting things. Yeah. So I, that's why I thought it'd be a fun well, the life behind the people, really, yeah. because they're, I do think that they're sort of their reputation and, and even I'm saying they, as yeah. if they're like this, this duo right. yeah. that are not separated. Yeah. And I think that they, their name precedes them mm-hmm. and defines them. And it's not, I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of like that a thing where people are like, oh, the, you know, this couple, it's like, they're not to be emulated. They're not to be, you shouldn't want a romance right. like this. It's You know, when you read back, when you think about Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Shakespeare was not saying this is what you should be like. He's saying these guys are idiots, right? He's like, There's, this is stupid. You don't kill yourself at someone you met for a week. You know what I mean? Right. He's not trying to idealize this relationship. But and it's I been think, appropriated that way over time. Right. It's been romanticized. It's, it's been, been romanticized. And that's with Sid and Nancy, too. I think it's been romanticized yeah. and idealized yeah. when... That's not really not something a... that you want to aspire to be. Darn. I got to relook at my relationships. Thank <laughs> you You need for to this. break out with that punk rock I, right, guy that, right. you know, with Johnny Rotten, who you've been dating. On the sly. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> so fun. Like I said, I, this is so great. I love doing this. 
and I love you. I love you. You're the best. Okay, so if you want more information or you want links to things we talked about, you can go to my website called thesodramaticpodcast.com. We also have a Facebook page called So Dramatic. Um, at our website, you can email us, but again, only if you have something nice to say. If not, don't bother because I don't want to hear it. Um, so that's it, Jenny. Thank you, Jennifer. You're the You're best. Welcome. Love you. You too. Right back at you. And just remember, it's okay to be so dramatic.